Hello, I'm Pastor Marshall Oaks, and I'm the lead pastor at Red Hills Church in Tallahassee, Florida. And you're about to listen to a message from our Sunday morning gathering. If you enjoy what you hear, please leave us some feedback on iTunes. And if you really like what God is doing at our church, consider supporting the ministry work at redhillschurch.com give. Thanks, and now for some Bible teaching. Okay, we're starting a new, very short message series here today. And I say very short, only in comparison to how the message series typically go around here. Um, We'll spend six months in one book, just kind of going verse by verse. But this series is short. It's, um, we're gonna read through 2 John and 3 John. Now we read through 1 John a couple years ago. That message series is still online. If you go to redhillschurch.com, you can find that series. It might've been before we were recording video, so there might just be audio of it. But we read through 1 John and now we're gonna read through 2 and 3 John. And the reason why we're doing this is because I want our hearts to be prepared for our study on Revelation, which starts August 1st. Now what does 2 John and 3 John have to do with the study in Revelation? only that the authors are the same person. The Apostle John, who walked with Jesus, wrote the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and the book of Revelation. Now, if you've got a commentary, maybe a critical commentary, they're like, we don't really know if John wrote, we know, it was him. He doesn't like calling his name out in books because he likes walking with humility. He's the kind of guy who wraps his humility in, in, in phrases like, um, I'm the disciple who Jesus loved the most. <laughs> so he doesn't, he doesn't say, hey, it's me, the Apostle John. He refers to himself as the elder or different other phrases. But we know through the writing and what he's talking about, and if you go earliest in church history, this is what the guys in the early church believed. This was, this is like the, the, as early as you go, 300 years after Jesus rose from the dead, there are guys saying, yeah, this, this book was written by John. That's why we called it Second John, because we knew it was him. So I want to read 2nd and 3rd John together in a message series because they're preparing us for the book of Revelation, but they're preparing us in a very specific way because Revelation, it's it's a very challenging book, but it's a very illuminating book. Um, But there are two things that the book of 2nd John and 3rd John do that I think will help us be prepared to read Revelation correctly. And that is the way that, that the apostle illuminates two very important Christian virtues, and those are love and discernment. Now he illuminates these two virtues for very specific reasons. He doesn't just say, okay, we need to talk about love and discernment in the early church because hey, those are two good things we should talk about. He illuminates those things because when John was writing in the later part of the first century, probably 40 to 60 years after Pentecost, what was happening in the churches was there was this surge of false teaching. Now we just learned in our study on Acts that Paul traveled around the area that was known as Turkey and Greece. He's planting churches 
And then he's leaving and then he's going to plant other churches in some of the areas, especially in Ephesus. He left uh, this young man named Timothy behind to watch over the churches. Well, eventually Paul gets arrested in Rome. Timothy goes to um, Paul's side and it left the churches without a leader. And so John, the apostle, takes on the responsibility of some of these churches. It's the reason why in the book of Revelation he writes to the seven churches in the region where Paul planted them. Because he was pastorally over in a care way over those churches. And he's writing these letters to the churches in those areas. And what he's seeing is he's seeing that the gospel is being eroded by people, traveling preachers coming in saying, "Um, I wanna teach you a message that's better than the message that Paul taught, the better than the message that John taught. It does include a Jesus, but it's uh, a different Jesus. There are things that John said that we need to do and walk out and, and, and I'm coming to you telling you that, that if you spend all of your time focused on this fleshy stuff of, your, of your, your body and just working in obedience and trying to do things, then you're wasting your time. Really where the real good stuff is, it's the non-tangibles, it's your spirit, it's your mind. This eventually came what we know as Gnosticism, this idea that material stuff It's not redeemable. It has no eternal value. The good stuff is like love, stuff you can't touch, your mind, your spirit. So it doesn't really matter what you do in your flesh, it's just your spirit. Well, if that's true, then there's no reason for Jesus to resurrect from the dead and also resurrect our physical bodies to live for all eternity. So John is saying, I'm seeing this deception in the early church and I'm seeing it increase And Jesus actually said it was gonna increase over time. And so I have to address that. But I'm not just addressing it for the sake of addressing bad doctrine, I'm addressing it because of what bad doctrine does to the people of God. It creates division. And this is why Paul, excuse me, this is why John wrote these two letters. Because he sees that there's false teaching and division. He sees that there's false teaching in the church and that false teaching is leading to division. And now the people of God are not loving one another and getting along, they're fighting. And John says, we've got to deal with that. Now, why is this helpful for us? Why are we reading letters that were written 2,000 years ago? Because John's answer of illuminating these two Christian virtues of love and discernment are important for us because deception is promised to continue to increase until Christ's return. Meaning, where we are right now in 2022 is a level of deception that surpasses the level of deception in the early church. Now, where do I get that from? Uh, I get that from Matthew 24, verses four through five, 1 John 2, 18, 2 Thessalonians 2, 3. If you're not fast enough to write those down, I will post my notes online after the service. Just go to the, red, the, the website and you can click on the notes and you can see um, my notes that I'm teaching from. But we're promised that deception will increase. Jesus said that, John said that, Paul said that. And we're promised that the deception will always lead to divisions and departing from the faith. Yes, I said departing from the faith. You're like, well, hold on there, big guy. I'm a once saved, always saved guy. Well, that's 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 not what I'm saying. What I'm talking about is people who said, I put my faith in Jesus, and then willfully were deceived and said, I no longer believe that Jesus actually lived and rose from the dead. I I believe that there's, I don't know that there's actually a really hell. I, I, 
I'm, I'm going to walk away from my faith. We see in 1 Timothy 4.1, Paul warns Timothy, be careful because the coming deception will lead to a great walking away from the faith. People will walk away from the faith. People will leave the church because of deception that's operating within the church. That's how serious this is. We also see it in Colossians 1, 21 through 23 when Paul says, man, you rose, Christ rose from the dead and he saved you and that, that is good, that is to save you as long as you keep in the faith, as long as you keep on believing, as long as you're, 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 your allegiance stays with Christ. As long as you keep believing, as long as you believe that Jesus saved you, he, he saved you, and there's, you can't sin your way out of that because you didn't stop sinning your way into that. But there is a New Testament warning that if you're not careful and you just decide, I'm not going to believe anymore, you're not going to heaven. That's how serious the warning is from the New Testament writers about taking your faith seriously and that you can't just place your faith in anything that even kind of looks like Jesus and decide that that is going to eternally save you and make you part of the family. Now hear me, I'm not saying are you saying you can lose your salvation? No, I'm not saying that we're going to just um, like slowly just kind of one day wake up. Oh crap, oh, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not saved anymore. I don't know how this happened. I'm talking about a willful decision to say, I once believed and I put my faith in Jesus and now you're in a place where say, I don't believe and I don't put my faith in Jesus anymore. Now how you ro roll that out, that, like if you just want to say, well, well, John says they went out from among us because they were never from us so they were never really saved. Cool. If that's how I want to reconcile that, that's fine. But when I read the New Testament, I see a warning, and the warning is, be careful where you put your faith in and don't fall for deception because deception will lead to people walking away. That's how serious this is. So how do we prepare for the increasing deception? If Jesus is telling us, hey, in the coming days, there will be many who come and say, hey, I'm the Christ, follow me. How do we handle the fact that we're taught by Paul that there will be a, a, a coming day where there will be such deception, there will be such a spirit of this antichrist, not the antichrist, but a spirit of antichrist permeating the church that it will be difficult for you to understand, oh, is that true or is, is that not true? Now, I'm not talking about where you fall kind of like on the biblical spectrum, like, well, I don't know, I'm kind of like an old earth guy, or I'm a young earth guy. Like, well, I don't know, how, if there's a, is there a millennium? Is it after? When is the tribulation? That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about, what is your saving faith? Do you put your faith in Jesus to save you and wash away your sins, or do you think that you can work at it and erase all of the blemishes on your chalkboard through your work? That's what we're talking about. What is, the, what, is, what is saving you? Is it a Christ who hung on the cross and shed his blood to wash away your sins or it is a man trying to atone for his sins by saying I've got more good things in this category than bad things in this category. And so at the end of the age, I'll stand before holy God and say, look how many good things that I did. This outweighs this. When you put your faith in Christ, you become a part of his family. 
But John is warning the church to be careful who you let speak into your life because a deception can come in and it can erode that faith and eventually you start believing in a Jesus that somebody told you was the brother of Satan. And then if you work hard enough, when you leave this world, you can take your family to the celestial heaven and you can procreate with your family and you can populate a new heaven and a new earth and you can be a God of that heaven and that earth. If you're not careful, somebody's gonna sneak in and they're gonna tell you things like, like Jesus wasn't really God. That was, that was actually like, that was the archangel Michael wasn't, wasn't the son of God. You see where I'm going with this? I'm not talking about the denominational split. I'm talking about cults. I'm talking about, have you prepared your student who's heading off to college to know the difference between what the Word of God teaches so that somebody comes up to them and says, hey, can I invite you to a Bible study? They won't fall into some cult like the International Christian Church. Do we know the truth? Do we know it so well that counterfeits stand out? Or are we suckers because we don't know it? This is the climate, this is the atmosphere in the early church, and unfortunately this is the atmosphere of the church of our day. And so John says we need two things. We need love and we need discernment. So let's get into the word of God. Go to 2 John. There's no chapters because it's so short, so we're gonna do 2 John, just the first three verses. 2 John 1 says this, to the elder, excuse me, the elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth. Now, pause right there, because immediately you're gonna be like, okay, who is he writing to? Well, there's two schools of thought on this. One, he's writing to a legitimate lady, like an, an actual female who's got children, or he's using a metaphor that describes the elect lady as the church and the children as the members. That's where I tend to lead. I don't have an issue if you think that it's an actual lady. I think there's more evidence to support the fact that when he's writing, he's using metaphor language because John does like that. He does it all through the Gospel of John. He does it in Revelation. But the elder, that's him, to the elect lady, that's the church, and there's precedent for this, Ephesians 5, 25 through 27, 2 Corinthians 11, 2. There's this sense that the church looks like a female who is the bride of Christ and her children who are the members of the church whom I love in truth, but not only I, but also who know the, but all those who know the truth. Because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever, grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Son in truth and love. Now, we've got three verses, and the word truth is mentioned four times. Why is John using the word truth so many times just as in his greeting? Because what John is trying to do is he's trying to lay a foundation, a common ground with this church, that there is a true truth. 
There are things that are legitimately true, and there are things that are not true. Now, if we're going to look at this through the lens of today, what he's saying is that there are real things and there are not real things. There are things that are objectively true and there are things that are feelings. There are things that are facts, that are true, there is a true truth, and there is somebody's perspective on an issue. And what John is trying to get across here is that he wants this church who's starting to fall for deception to understand that not all feelings are true and not all perspectives are true. Independent of your experience or your feelings, there are some things that are just objectively true. It is true whether you choose to believe it or not, it is true. And that truth is what this letter has its foundation sitting on. If we can't have the common ground that there are some things that are objectively true, irregardless of, regardless of whether you have actually seen that or experienced it or feeling it, there are just some things that are true whether you believe it or obey it or not, if we don't have that foundation, that we, don't, we can't have a letter, we don't have any common ground. But he's saying that there are some things that are true. There are some things that are true about the God of the universe. There are some things that are true about his son. And there are some things that he said about himself that are true whether you wanna believe it or not. He said, not me, he said, I am the way. I'm the way. What about that way? Nope, not a way. I'm the way. How about this way? Nope, not a way. I'm the way. Well, how about this new way that we just invented? How about this other way that we just created? No, doesn't matter how many nine million ways you create, the Son of God said objectively, independent of any ways that we may create in the future, there is only one way to the Father and it is through Jesus. So he's using that foundation to start his letter. There are some things that are true, and those are the things that we're building our theology on top of. So let's go to verse four. It says, I rejoiced greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning. I'm not asking you something new, I'm writing this letter to remind you of something. What is he reminding them? Love one another. It's at that point where you're like, mm, I knew it. See, this is what I'm talking about. See, I knew it. All that other stuff doesn't matter because this is what it's all about. You just got to love, man. Well, John's reminding of the command to love is based off of a true truth. That true truth 
is the man Jesus. He establishes what is true. If he says this is true, you can't come behind and say, I don't know about that. I've experienced something different. I love you, but it doesn't matter what you've experienced. If the God of the universe says this is the way it is, this is the way it is. And he's saying, I'm, I'm appealing to you based off of that reality that you should be doing something within the church, and that is to love each other. Now, this is important because what we're about to talk about is in the boundaries of the church. We are not talking about non-believers. We are talking about inter-church politics. We are talking about the, the relationship between one another. We're talking about the command that Jesus gave to his followers. And this is not a new command. This is an old command. And this command is not up for negotiation. This wasn't invented yesterday. This came out of Jesus' mouth in John 15, 12, Matthew 22, 38 through 40. And this command applies to all believers because it reveals our authenticity. They will know you by the love that you have for one another. How will the world know who my true followers are? Because of the way that they love one another. That's how you'll know who are my people. That's why this is so important, because it gets down to our identity. If you wanna call yourself a follower of Jesus, it is requirement that you walk in love. But this love is rooted in truth. It's rooted in the person of Jesus, meaning that the command to love one another and the definition of what loving one another looks like is rooted in something. It means that there's a definition of love and there's a way to walk it out and it means you can't define it. You can't define love and you can't determine how you're going to love. There is a predetermined truth based off of what came out of Jesus' mouth and how he lived about what love is and how you do it. You don't get to come and say, well, I'm new, I'm new to Jesus and like, oh, I, I kinda, I know what love is. It's these like emotional, joyous feelings. Like I, it's, it's this, it's this kind of posture towards one another. It's, it's this feeling that you get when, when, you, when you look at somebody that, that you, you know, it's just these feelings. No, that's not it. That might have been it before you came to him, but when he showed up, he said, no, no, I'm gonna show you what love is. And I'm gonna call you to walk in it. So the definition of love and the way you walk in it are rooted in this truth that it has some foundation and it has a definition and it had a definition before you showed up, which means when you show up to the party, you don't get to bring your definition and how you walk it out with you. You don't get to bring it back from your old past or your old life. You don't get to rewrite it for the rest of us. We are all deciding that Jesus is king and that he has predetermined what love is and how you walk it out. And all of us are trying to follow his example, not yours or mine. So, if the definition of love is predetermined, if how you walk it out is predetermined, and Jesus commands us to walk in love, then what is love? Are you ready for this? Y'all aren't ready for this. You're not gonna like this. Because it is the opposite of what most of us would define love as. But we decided before we started this that we're gonna follow his example and not ours. 
So if you walked in with a, with a definition, hopefully you'll walk out with a different one because you're not going to like this. I'm just telling you, your flesh won't like it. John, 2 John 6. This is love. Are you ready? That we walk according to his commandments. <sighs> really? It sure seemed easier when it was just a feeling, huh? Because if walking in, if love, love to love one another is legitimately walking in his commandments, then that means there are things we have to obey that we haven't been obeying. That means that there's stuff you have to do. Well, I I thought this whole thing about Jesus was like, it wasn't about what I could do, it was about what he could do. Well, yes. His work was all the work that needed to, was all, was all the work that needed to satisfy the wrath of God against you. You are now declared not guilty before the, the, the kingdom of God. But in order to, to, to accept that love, you have to walk in that love. This is not a salvation issue. He's not saying I'm now giving you new commands. He's saying I'm gonna give you commands that are reflection on what I did for you. Now these commands are not binding to you. They're not saving you. They're now a reflection of this new person that you are. Do you see the difference? One is I have to do it. One is I get to do it. One is if I don't do this, I'm going to hell. The other is I get to do this because I'm no longer going to hell. There's a big difference. And he's saying, love one another. What is love? That we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, guys. Just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. So what is the true definition of love? The true definition of love is walking in his commandments. So let me make it as simple as possible. We love each other by doing what Jesus told us to do. I can't say, I love you, brother, and ignore his commandments because it means that my love is empty. I I don't actually love you. I can't say I love you and not do what he commanded us to do. I can't say as a pastor, I love you, and then walk in rebellion when I'm not up here on stage, or walk in rebellion while I'm up here on stage and inject my own personal opinion into the text. That's not loving you. Loving you is giving you the truth, the foundation that this love for order for you to walk in in his commandments is based on. You can't go out and obey him if I don't love you correctly by telling you the truth. These are the commands. This is how we're supposed to walk. And in doing this, we're all loving one another. Do Do you see how it's connected? And why it's so important for us to understand what the true commandments are? Um, if we're loving one another by doing what Jesus told us to do, is there any, is there any reference to Jesus saying this? So if love is tied to commandments, where is that from Jesus's mouth? Go to John 15, 10 through 11. This is Jesus. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Oh, that's big. I said these things to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So abiding in Christ means obeying his commandments. Let's go to John 14, 15. This is what Jesus said to his disciples. 
if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Like, well, that's not what I was told by some preacher at a tent revival. I didn't know there was so much work involved in this. I didn't know I had to do stuff. Well, I'm sorry, you were sold a false gospel. Because if your posture after being transformed and redeemed by the king of the universe is not, I want my life to reflect that love, then you didn't meet the king of the universe who died and saved your soul. Love is obedience to the truth. It's not a weak word that we inject with our own meaning. So here's the question. If love is obeying the commandments of Christ, then what are the commandments of Christ? I'm glad you asked. We don't have enough time. Because the Bible is filled with the commandments of the Lord. Let me give you a couple. Uh, these are, I mean, you can just go through Matthew chapter five and spend an, an entire afternoon there. But here's a commandment from the Lord. Um, don't have anger in your hearts towards one another. Reconcile, Matthew 5, 21. That's a command. Here's another one. Don't look on a woman with lust in your heart. Matthew 5, 27. Don't practice your righteousness so everyone will see it. Matthew 6, 1. Here's a command. Don't lay up treasures for yourself on earth. Matthew 6, 19. Let's get out of uh, Matthew Seek the things above and set your minds on the things above, Colossians 3, 1 through 2. The New Testament is filled with commands for God's people to respond to his love with, and these are just a few. If you want to know more, I would encourage you to do a New Testament study on all of the imperative verbs in the New Testament. An imperative verb is a verb that is a command. You have to do this. So if you want to know how to love your brother, then do what Jesus told you to do. The Bible is filled with commands like this, and as I said before, the commands don't save us, but they do define what real love looks like. They're a reflection, a response of what he's done inside of you. So all this conversation that we've had about love and commandments, why is this so important? Why do, we un why do we need to know the commands so we can obey them to love? Why is this such a big deal? Because deception. You have to know what Jesus asked of his people so that someone doesn't come behind you and say, he never said that. How do you know if he never said that if you don't know what he said? This is why I keep giving you guys homework leading up to message series. This is why we're memorizing scripture. Because the church, I'm sorry, we've just been a, we've done a lousy job of hiding the word of God in people's hearts. We don't talk about it enough. We don't memorize it enough. We're not familiar with it enough. When we read a story, we don't see how it connects to this over here. And we read images over here, we don't know that they popped up over here. We think they're popping up for the first time. No, there's nothing in the book of Revelation that hasn't already been said somewhere else in the Bible. But as you're reading, is it, is it, is it illuminating? You're like, oh, I've seen that, I know where that is. That reminds me of this. We're not familiar enough with it. And since we're not, we fall for anybody who's trying to make a dollar off of us who wants to sell a book and tell us something that's not in here. 
And if it's not a book, it's a free podcast. Listen to my podcast, listen to my thoughts on the Bible. No, I, I'm sorry, I, just, I don't wanna hear your thoughts on the Bible. I wanna hear the Bible's thoughts on the Bible. Because I wanna get to a place where I've got the word of God flowing through my bones and my bloodstream so quickly that the moment I hear something that's wrong or deceptive, I can see it. I don't wanna fall for it, I wanna be able to see it. So this is why this is so important, because deception. Go to verse seven. He says, for many deceivers have gone out into the world. So many deceivers have gone out into the world. Those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Not the antichrist, who will appear at the end of the age as literally the personification of everything that is the opposite of Christ, but the Antichrist that is building even now. Paul talks about this in Thessalonians. There is a coming Antichrist, but there's false teachers now who are perpetuating the beliefs that are essentially the spirit of the Antichrist now. It will be personified in a person eventually, but it's already being personified in individual people now. The spirit of the Antichrist is alive, and it is in churches right now. And it is swaying denominations to turn their back on the word of God. It is snatching people in the church to believe things that have no root in the word of God. Verse eight, watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for but win a full reward. See, everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide, oh that seems a little bit different than in verse seven, the person who went out. So many deceivers are going out, so there are straight up people who are denying Jesus out in the world. Many deceivers have gone out, but now in verse nine we're talking about those who have decided not to abide. We're talking about people who started in the church but they went out and they're not abiding in the teachings of Christ. They do not have God. They want you to listen to them and they have a platform, they've got a lot of followers on Instagram but their entire church is on Instagram. And they're not teaching the word of God, they're teaching nonsense. And they want you to follow them. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Now he's talking about two different people here I mentioned, people who have gone out, people who have, uh, who have left, used to be in the church and now they're trying to deceive. And both of them, their goal is the same. They wanna challenge truth and redefine love. They want to spread a different truth. They say things like love doesn't look like that, it looks like this. Or obedience includes this, but you don't have to worry about this because that commandment's outdated. You need to follow this one, but you don't need to worry about that one because that one was mistranslated. That doesn't, what it, that's not mean, that doesn't mean what it means. That's a different word. Greek word is different. The, command, the, the commandments that were there are not the same commandments today. You can, you, can walk in, you can walk in a different obedience with these now. The truth is old, and now it's outdated, and it's up to us to have this word reflect the world that we live in today. It's a different world than when this book was written and we need to have this truth reflect the world that we're living in if we're gonna be true to it. 
This deception comes in lots of different forms. It comes in everything from secular worldviews to cults. But whatever the package is, John's encouragement is the same. Don't receive it, don't endorse it, and don't spread it. How can you not do that if you don't know what it is? Well, now you understand how much work is ahead of us. We have to start knowing the word, because if you don't know the word, you don't know what's not the word. You can't tell what's a counterfeit if you don't know what's true. But this is the pause. He encourages them, don't receive it, don't endorse it, don't spread it. But he's also not endorsing going on witch hunts. Hear me. He's saying that from where you live, if that nonsense comes close to you, don't endorse it. Don't give it a vacation at your home. Don't spend your time entertaining that. Keep it out. Cling to the truth and not to a lie. But he's not saying go out of your house and start hunting it down. Start doxing it online. Start exposing it. Make a ministry out of making these people look ridiculous. That's not what he's saying. He's saying guard your heart and guard your friends and love people within the church, but he's not endorsing you building a ministry out of just sharing, like the only thing you're ever doing is just sharing what other people are doing wrong. There's no, there's no spiritual gift of going out of your way to expose other people. If this stuff starts creeping in, you address it as it comes up, but if you spend all of your time chasing down the work of the enemy, you will have no time left to pursue the love of Christ. You've got no time for Christ if all you're doing is pursuing the enemy. So stop wasting your time, deal with it when it comes up, but stop wasting your time trying to track it down. Quit trying to sniff it out like some kind of spiritual bloodhound. I don't like that book. I used to like this guy, but I don't like him anymore. And listen, hear me. I'm talking, I'm talking about people who say, you don't need Jesus. Or there's a different Jesus. I'm not talking about people who hold different denominational views because there is a big difference between deception and immaturity. There is a difference between sheep's, wolves in sheep's clothing and people who are still growing in their faith and got it wrong. There has to be room for people to get it wrong, but there is no room for wolves to come in and prey on the sheep. Now, how do you know the difference? I'm glad you asked, because that's discernment, but that's next week. Go to verse 12. It says, though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. So John closes with a desire to meet in person and a final goodbye. Second John is a short letter, but it's a powerful reminder that this world and even many churches are filled with deception. They're filled with people who are operating under a spirit that the Bible would call anti-Christ. And their goal 
is to erode the work of the apostles, the work of Jesus, and to sow division among the people so that we stop loving one another and we stop being a witness to this world. And if we're unfamiliar with the truth that he's talking about, we'll fall for it every time. So the charge today is that we become more familiar with the truth so that we can spot counterfeits quicker. The call today is to spend more time in the word, to become more familiar with it, to spend more time in prayer, to become more familiar with him. I've heard it, uh, people have asked me often, like how do, you, how do you hear God's voice? How do you know it's his voice? And I always respond the same way. If we're in a department store, and there's tons of people around everywhere, and my kids are somewhere in the store, and I call out their name. How do they know that it's me calling their name and not some stranger? Because they know the sound of my voice. They live with me, they hear me talk all the time. The same principle applies to your heavenly Father. How do you stop falling for deception? You become more familiar with his voice. You spend more time in prayer so that you know what the Holy Spirit, the leading feels like, and what it sounds like, what his voice sounds like, what he says to do, what he says not to do, how he never contradicts his word, how he's not gonna tell you to do something that is the opposite of something that's already been established in here. But there's the other problem. If you don't know what's established in here, you'll fall for anything and you'll start confusing that inner voice with the Holy Spirit and you'll start telling people, God told me this when he never said that, you told yourself that. So love one another, but love one another by obeying his commands and not redefining love to suit yourself. And above all, start knowing his commands. Let's pray. Hello again, it's Pastor Marshall, and I just wanted to say thank you for listening to this message. If you want to hear other messages or maybe find out more about our church, you can visit redhillschurch.com. From there, you'll find links to our social media pages, message archive, and ways you can support the ministry work. Thanks again for spending time with us, and God bless.